The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, the podcast that takes you on an exhilarating journey through the captivating realm of custom technology. Don't miss out on this thrilling auditory expedition into the mesmerizing world of custom technology. So welcome to The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, and uh, thank you (laughs) very much for uh, hanging out with us today. Uh, we have a great episode lined up for you. It is all about surveillance. Woo! There's the time we were going for. Excellent, sir. Excellent. I'm keeping all this, by the way. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I'm 100% on board. That's why I'm excited. I'm so, excited to be here. To give you a kind of an insight into what we're going to talk about, uh, it's going to be mostly cameras. We typically think about these things like security. And so there is a whole element of our industry where guys will go pretty heavy into that, get into things like door contacts and alarm monitoring, and we're not going to focus too heavily on that stuff. Um, We're going to keep it uh, really focused more on cameras and uh, all the things that you're going to need to know in order to keep the surveillance going for you. Uh, So you can keep an eye on what's going on around the house. Uh, that being said, we'll go into different types of cameras, different types of platforms. Uh, we'll talk about some of the recording technology that we have to get into. I guess the first thing maybe is we should kind of just do a quick once over on do-it-yourself approach and some you know DIY and maybe just at a high level that compared to uh, what is going to be done on the custom side. Maybe let's start there and go ahead and let's kick it off, Mark. Do-it-yourself cameras have really come along in the past several years. I am a do-it-yourself camera customer when it comes to what I have at my home, mainly because of the space I'm in. You know, kind of the first thing is you, you should consider, like, what I'm trying to, to cover, what kind of space am I trying to cover, and then that may decide which direction you want to go. And also, how do I want to save that content? How do I want it stored? So that's going to kind of be... Two of the major factors that split a lot of folks between the do-it-yourselves and the do-it-for-me. The big one that's come along over the past five years or so is something like the the Ring or Nest doorbell. Once they came out with that, those were huge hits. So they came back and they said, hey, you know what? People love this wireless camera that they have at their front door. Why don't we put another battery inside of these or put a plug on these other cameras and let them put them all over their house? So that's Kind of the gist of what those do-it-yourself cameras allow you to do. They give you a ton of different options, but, you know, so you have one at the door, you've got one in the garage, maybe one facing your front and back porch. But ultimately, it's a plug-and-play solution that connects to your Wi-Fi, and all that content is stored on the cloud, usually for a fee. I think, you know, I pay like 110 bucks a year or something along those lines. So nothing is actually stored locally. And when you say locally, you mean at the house itself. Correct. That's what I mean. Yeah. So there's no like hard drive here at my house that records anything that goes on on any of the cameras I have. Um, there, It's all essentially recorded and immediately sent to the cloud through whatever service that you utilize. Plus sides to that, I don't need an, an additional device that's sitting here in my network that stores all that content. Downside is... If the network's down, I can't access it. Mm. So that's that's kind of your, you know, in my opinion, the biggest downside. And the, a lot of the times I'll communicate with my clients about, you know, hey, yeah, this is great, but it's really not designed to keep going if 
for some reason the network goes down you're not reporting anything and i think that's a really phenomenal uh point if you have something that's being recorded to the cloud and just to keep the terminology clear the cloud just refers to whatever giant server massive uh, data farm uh, for whichever company <laughs> um, you are choosing to use. Uh, if you've heard of the Amazon cloud, that's really all it is. It's just these giant warehouses. They have racks and racks and racks and full of servers that just record data, right? I mean, they're just giant memory cards, to be quite honest. That does leave you kind of in a pickle, though. If you don't have access to those, then you don't have access to your data. The other thing that I know is a kind of a big concern for a lot of folks is whether or not their data being on that cloud is as sufficiently protected from cyber attacks. I'm not going to claim to be a cybersecurity expert, but we do know that there are uh, not nice people in the world that do not nice things. It's a lot easier for them to go after one of those big cloud services than it would be to try and isolate something that is only available on your local or your home-based uh, network. So, Right, right. And that's kind of the big thing about the do-it-for-me style cameras. And honestly, I say do-it-for-me. If you're someone who's really technical, you know, or at least knows their way around how to navigate some basic networking, these are things that you could do yourself too. But really, it's better to, to have a professional install it because a lot of times we have a lot more experience with how to set them up to make sure that they're sighted in properly and all of the different variables that allow you to sense things like motion recording or continuous recording, things like that. They're just not complex, but their user interface typically is. When you go to these do-it-for-me style cameras, that's when we get into a lot of different options and bringing up the size of your home again, like, a 7,500 square foot home, and we've got nine cameras around the space. We're covering a lot more square footage than the 1,800 square foot townhome I live in. But all those cameras are wired up using a Ethernet cable. Hey! And, and run back to a central location. They're connected to your network via a network switch. And then typically there is a hard drive or what we would call an NVR or network video recorder that also connects to the network and records all of the content those cameras record, however you want it to, whether it's by motion or by continuous. So what does that mean, Dan? <laughs> that means that the storage is now local to uh, your house, whether or not your internet access to the outside world is running, it doesn't matter. It records to that local hard drive or that local NBR. That means that uh, you are a lot less prone to cyber attack that means that you always have access to your recordings and you do quite honestly you get a lot more control and I think this is probably one of those uh, perfect jumping off points to kind of show the difference between a generic like a say a ring or nest or, or some of those and one of the first places uh, people will traditionally go would be CCTV or coax or BNC um, so uh, how do those systems work? Uh, maybe give us a little breakdown on uh, on some of those and why you might go that direction or why you don't go that direction anymore. BNC or coaxial CCTV type systems have been around for quite a long time. I mean, I, I've probably seen 20, 30-year-old houses sometimes with them. And do they work? Sometimes. Sometimes not. 
but they kind of work in a similar way to the way that we discussed the network-based system just a few moments ago. But instead of using Ethernet, they use uh, an RG6 or, or RG59 coaxial connection. Run from a centralized location to a DVR, digital video recorder. So it's going to have a certain amount of hard drive space. Uh, the newer ones do have the ability to connect the digital video recorder to the network. So you can, you know, access it from your phone if you want to. You know, primarily the cameras on the system itself don't ever see the network itself, if that makes sense. They don't have a network address. They're all just connected via the uh, the coaxial. As far as everything else goes with those, I mean, a lot of your cameras are going to be entry level to top of the line. They did have some pretty good PTZ options even over coax back in the day. Uh, it typically required an additional power or control wire as network cameras have become more readily available and more inexpensive. It's kind of starting to go by the wayside. I can't remember the last time I pre-wired a house with coax for a camera. Well, and that's part of the reason why I wanted you to sort of just touch on it briefly is it doesn't really make sense today. And 30 years ago, sure, maybe that was one of those things that you had to do because that's where the technology was. But today, it's almost laughable, to be quite honest, <laughs> because it, it, and seriously, if you want to have the control over your camera, then you're going to use power over Ethernet. You're going to use that Cat6 wire in order to get the signal to the camera. And that's just the way that the entire industry has gone. And it's no different than the control industry and the television industry and the audio industry and all the sub industries that we deal with. Everybody's moving to a network based system. And so it just makes one topography or one ecosystem that you have to worry about. And that makes everything a lot simpler. You're using the same type of wire, you're using the same type of uh, control mechanisms and things like that. So one of the most basic functions, for example, is alerts and uh, motion alerts specifically. So we'll kind of jump into that for a split second. On a professional system, you would have the ability to block out certain areas that you don't want any type of motion alert for. And so I'm going to use myself as an example. I have a camera that's facing down my driveway. And my neighbor's driveway is just within the shot. And so if I had a traditional camera that's generic that I'd throw up there myself, every time my neighbor comes and goes, I would get an alert which would drive me insane because that guy goes and comes all day every day. He does whatever it is that he's doing, and that's cool. But because I have the ability to block out a certain area of the picture to avoid motion alerts in this particular area, we don't have to have those alerts all the time over and over and over and over being, an, quite frankly, an annoyance. What are some of the special features that a next level camera system or IP camera would have. Do they have night vision, for example? Typically, do it for me style cameras or those, those IP cameras are going to perform better in both the daylight and darkness compared to some of the more do it yourself options. That's not all of them. I'm not saying that there isn't a great one here or there, but especially when it comes to night vision and zoom technology, they just are, are substantially better in most cases on a network camera versus a traditional do-it-yourself. Uh, that's typically done with infrared or IR if you're looking at specifications on a camera. I think you were telling me there was a camera that you were looking at for a client of yours. What was the the length of the, the IR on one of those cameras? It was like 
I know there's one that oh. I just installed. It was like 165 feet, but yours was like a lot longer, wasn't it? Yeah, so we did one where the camera had to be within a certain distance because that's where the network line was. But what we were trying to cover was the length of a couple football fields away. Detect on this particular camera was just over 600 feet. And so you could actually get on some of them up to, and I'm looking it up just to be sure I'm correct, uh, 14,435 feet. (laughs) That's crazy. So that means where you are on your barn or on your house, whatever you're trying to, to, to take a look at, uh, you'll be able to see it without a problem. Um, some of the other things that are pretty cool, have you ever done uh, any identification off of some of these cameras? I've not got to do it yet. I know that there's some in our some folks in our company, if there was a project going on in South Florida for uh, some you know VIP of some sort, and there is like a, <laughs> a monstrous house. There's like 125 rooms in the home and they had PTZ with pan tilt zoom. I don't know if we went that detailed into it. These cameras that not only had facial recognition, but thermal recognition and, and it did tracking. They set it to alert me if Dan's on my property and it would, as soon as it saw your face, it's not going to let go and it's going to follow you across the entire view that it can. And it's also going to sync up with another camera that's going to sink in and grab you when you leave the view of that other camera until you're found, which I thought was incredible technology and it was this is a million dollar job so i'm sure that the price was up there on those cameras but i always wanted to see how it worked like in person yeah <laughs> yeah and i'll be honest there's a a level here that you're getting to where you're saying like is it really necessary you know for the average person yeah probably not i get it you know you don't need to spend you know seven and and ten thousand dollars a camera and put it in 10 of those things and your budget's blown out of the water yep yep <laughs> so yep. i get it I, at the i think it's it's more something along the lines of all things being relative when, when you start to think about the purpose for security and this is something that i really want to maybe drive home a little more is that all technology follows purpose. And if we haven't said that before, I'm going to say that like a broken record in episodes coming forward, which is I want to know who's coming up the driveway. I want to see who's going into the pool. I want to see who's coming around the back. The purpose is what's going to determine whether or not this is a good style system, whether or not it's good technology or bad technology, because they're machines, right? They can only do what they can do Mm -hmm. until you program them, until you tell them what to do. And so it's essential that you think through your purpose and you think through your applications. One of the things I keep getting asked about more recently is uh, audio. I know back with the do-it-yourself kind of stuff, that's kind of like, hey, it's got a microphone in it. But these better cameras also have that too. So we could even have it trigger whether it's an, an alert to that person that is walking up that, hey, there is a camera here. So if you want them to be aware of the surveillance, you can actually alert them, the communication back to the client or back to that that person as well through that camera. Like we've said before, a little bit more discreet, not just something hanging on your wall or on your doorbell. I guess the next thing to talk about is what's the big deal about pan, tilt, and zoom? I know you touched on it briefly, but maybe talk a little bit about what that technology is and just maybe define each one of those things for us. Uh, a pan tilt zoom or a PTZ camera is going to give you the ability to essentially take the image that the camera can see and adjust it utilizing optics 
Um, so not a digital zoom, but an actual optical zoom. So if you, you're familiar with how a camera works, you know, you typically have the lens, but there's another lens inside of it that kind of moves in and out to give you uh, more focus or a further away view based on whatever you need. And those better cameras that we were talking about earlier, the one that could reach, you know, and see someone walking on the moon or something like that, they have much better optics allowing you to zoom in further away or closer to something and be able to read whatever the tag is on the back of their shirt. The panning, there's typically a, a horizontal motor, and in some cases it's it's on a 360-degree axis, kind of like on a ball mount to where it allows it to kind of aim up, down, left, and right. But the actual physical housing itself can rotate to get more of a view of an entire space versus typically most fixed cameras, which are just, hey, this is what I can see, and that's all I can see, right? Nothing else. Right. I've seen those used in pools mostly, like pool areas where they have a camera that's kind of centralized, and it's able to kind of move back and forth and follow folks or just be able to kind of get full coverage around the entire pool. So that's kind of the panning and the tilting, right? You can pan left or right. You can tilt up and down. Kind of gives you the ability to, to give the full access and range of motion uh, and view everything in an area. It, it's one of those things, too, where to give yourself the ability to pan or tilt or zoom means that you're actually moving the camera itself as opposed to just manipulating an image that's already on screen. And I think we've seen this on everybody's cell phone. Whenever you look at a picture, you can zoom in. And so the question is, are you making a, on that zoom in, are you getting a clearer image as you zoom in? Or is it staying fuzzy, right? Uh, just because you, mm -hmm. and, and I think on a lot of those do-it-yourself style cameras, you can try and zoom in, but you've just made the fuzzy part larger. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yep. So when you talk about that difference between an optical zoom, right, or something that's happening at the lens versus something that's being done in the digital space, the difference is when you zoom in, it becomes more clear. It doesn't just get bigger. And I know that may sound like a silly difference, but a lot of technology companies will say, well, we've got Zoom. And you're going, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yes, sort of. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I would be able to read a license plate number. Uh, God forbid somebody comes uh, up the driveway that I don't want to have come up the driveway. So. Yep. And just to give you an example, like I mentioned before, I've, I've got, you know, a do-it-yourself doorbell camera on the front of my house. And... In the day, I can zoom in and I can see license plates across the street from me. At night, that's really where I sh where it struggles. Now, if I can turn on every light in the world outside in the front, I used to have some super bright lights on my garage. Depending on where that car was, I could see it. We just recently, like I was, we were mentioning earlier, I, we just had a project this past week, and I can zoom in and see the license plate 150 feet away at night with with some of the better cameras. So. It's, uh, it's very impressive. What are some of the things that uh, would tie a camera system into a control system? Yeah, honestly, this is where it gets really cool, in my opinion. So I know in previous episodes, we've talked about lighting control and, and keypads. So your control system and your lighting system can kind of control those keypads in most cases either way. they can. Uh, I can have a... Lutron keypad trigger a savant scene. I can have a savant scene trigger a Lutron something or another. So 
you kind of have some back and forth capabilities there. But the design was if they heard bump in the night, let's say, uh, they could reach over and they could hit their panic button. So not only did it turn all the lights on that they wanted to have turn on, which was every light in the house to 100%, it also turned on the television in that specific space and brought up the cameras to view on that TV so that they could see where that person may have entered or whatever it was or to see if it's just a cat outside rustling through their their garbage. You know what I mean? Um, utilizing some sort of on-screen display. I know with Savant, you can do it through like an Apple TV or if you have an NVR, we didn't mention this earlier, but you they typically have a video output so you can have a monitor or display connected to them so you can view them on on a display or multiple displays. But being able to just hit that one button and, you know, my house is essentially, in my opinion, secure. I can see anyone moving around either inside or outside wherever my cameras are and I have essentially a safe place to view it from in my in my bedroom unless they're there with you, which then... I don't know what you're in, in for. Yeah, that's that's nine one one. That's a nine one one call. That's a nine one one call. <laughs> that's yep. that's not a panic call. That's nine one one call. <laughs> yep. But it was really cool to to see that operate, you know, and and that was something that uh, the client you know kind of dreamed up on their own, and they had to do some other stuff too with uh, some of the the color lights and things like that, where they could have like a uh, some of their smart speakers say some certain certain things, and it was a lot of fun actually. That's awesome. That is very, very, very cool. Well, and I'm reminded of a project we did. Uh, it's a light commercial project, actually, where we had a main site building tied back to an NVR, and there was about eight cameras that were on the main main building. And then there was another eight cameras on an off-site warehouse, and the client wanted to be able to see all of them at the same time, uh, despite the fact that they were two like different addresses, right? And so we found a way using uh, the NVR technology to be able to bring both sets of cameras into NVRs and then log into each NVR on a dedicated computer. Cool. Well, so now think about what that gives you the ability to do, Mark, which was awesome. We made the computer an Apple computer. So that was kind of a, a key part of the design here. But because Apple computers do this cool thing called AirPlay, I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, it allows you... <laughs> What's that? I'm kidding. Uh, AirPlay is where you can uh, screen mirror uh, your computer's screen with a television. Mm -hmm. And so what we were able to do is uh, screen mirror the computer to uh, three different televisions. There was a monitor that was local. There was one in an office and one... Uh, over in a warehouse and so you could actually see 16 cameras from two different locations on three different screens simultaneously <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing it was absolutely fantastic and because of that uh nvr being local there was very little lag time to zero lag time to be quite honest uh when you're on the local network and there was a couple of milliseconds if you were off the network, but you could still access it, for example, from the iPad or a cell phone or any of those um, mobile devices. And so you think about having the ability to see what's going on anywhere at any time. We can design the systems to do kind of whatever it is that you as the client wants. And that's really the most important thing going back to purpose. It's like, if I don't have purpose, 
I don't know what we're trying to do <laughs> and I can't design the system the right way. So you have to kind of think through a little bit. Uh, what questions would you ask someone who's thinking about getting cameras, but maybe not sure where to begin? Something that you would ask yourself if I were just planning on doing some research is, okay, how big is my house? Like how many square feet of my outside of my home or interior, if you want to have cameras inside, am I trying to cover? Once you kind of have that, then assess what your, you know, if you're going to do wired cameras, if you want to do the better solution versus wireless. And if it ends up being either of those, we also need to assess the quality of your network. Because if you have a, you know, an older network, the wireless cameras may not function very well at all. The wired ones will be okay when you're at the home, but when you're trying to access it remotely, you know, if you're away from home, you might have some struggles there. So, but that's going to kind of, that would be kind of the, where I would start is, you know, coverage area, uh, wired versus wireless, and then network. And, and I'm so glad you kept bringing it back to the network. And I was hoping that you would, because that's been the number one reason why camera systems fail and mm -hmm. why we have to go back out and redo and <laughs> fix <laughs> systems that uh, maybe have not been done correctly is because Somebody put a do-it-yourself style camera in a six or 7,000 square foot house and the Wi-Fi doesn't reach. And all of a sudden it's like, well, why doesn't my camera work? Well, there's not a problem with the camera. Maybe it's a problem with the signal getting to it. So maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The last thing I'd want to mention, uh, some of them do have little SD card slots. So if you can't get an NVR, you can still record. Uh, locally. I'm so glad you brought up the SD card because I actually meant to say it earlier and I just completely glazed over it. But that has done a lot for for me and for our clients lately. You know, when they are just looking for some some of that basic functionality, but they don't want to spend thousand or fifteen hundred whatever on a NVR. You know, they just want to get a camera put up somewhere. Uh, they've already got the wires maybe, or it's easy to run the wire, um, but they don't want that centralized storage. I mean, the, the SD card works. You're not, I mean, no one's going to jump up on your ladder and pull the camera down and take the SD card, right? So it's 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 fairly secure. I mean, that's how a lot of people use it now. So just made it easier. That's exactly right. And that's the, the only reason I remember it is because that's how I do it at my house, quite honestly. Hmm. Anything else we need to cover on uh <laughs> On cameras. <laughs> um, you know, one of the other things that I'll just kind of point out, and it's kind of been, it's been brought up by one of our vendors that we utilize over the past year or two, kind of do a little bit more research into where that camera is coming from and what type of security that they're going to provide you based on what you're purchasing. And the reason why I bring that up is I have a, a, a buddy of mine who bought some off of uh, the internet thing. This thing has pan tilt zoom and some other options that you know we just really couldn't hit that price point for them you do a little bit of research into the name and it's it's not really a well-known company you know you just want to make sure that you're protecting yourself and pr protecting your data as much as possible well and i'm really glad you brought it up because data privacy is one of those really divisive issues we'll just mm -hmm. say it that way mm -hmm. my point is that that's turned a lot of people off from using that particular platform because 
they think that their data is going to be stolen, right? The concept here is that if you want your data to be secure, then you have to be able to have what's called a closed loop or closed system. And that's one of those things that I'm really thankful our camera manufacturers, they don't have their stuff made in China. It's made in Korea. They do not do analytics. They don't have the ability to see what's going on. They don't know how many times you access your app. They don't know how many times you're going to look at your cameras. They don't have access to what's on the feed. Um, if you want to have access to them, you have to physically be around during the installation to scan the QR code to make sure that your device is the only one that's going to get access to it. So you don't have all of these back doors. You don't have all these entrance points. You don't have all these. And what's the whole idea there is that you just don't want not nice people to do not nice things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to make sure that you do the research. So I agree with you a thousand percent. A thousand. All right. So oh. welcome to Surprise Tech. Surprise Tech. Surprise. Yeah, Tell I know me about this. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so Tell- excited to talk about it. I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. So, you know, I knew it existed, right? Uh, because we we do this stuff all the time, but... Uh, we're we're in the middle of a of, of a three week install currently. We're at day six today, fifteen days total install, and we're building the rack yesterday. And as I guess today's day seven. Goodness, we're building the rack yesterday, and I'm I'm helping out one of my installers because one of the other guys had to leave early. I sold two of these newer Savant branded Netgear uh, AVB switches. Now. You're probably thinking, okay, big deal. It's a switch. You connect things to it. it it's a, you know, an AVB, so you're able to send audio across it. Yes, you can do that. But we open up the box. This thing has three power plugs on it. Oh my goodness! For a switch. Yes, three. Now, why? So- <laughs> why would that need three? Th- We're not using all of these, by the way, because my pro- my my installer, my lead installer on site, he's like one of the best rack builders period he's like did you plan on wiring three power cords to this because we don't have the outlets nor i don't know if i can wire manage it based on where it's at i'm like no we only need one but there's three why because this thing has a total of 2800 watts of poe power capable uh, oh my uh, goodness that's awesome so what's the average switch that we sell like you know, maybe like, 30. like, like me. Yeah. I mean, it's probably like a hundred Watts. I mean, like you figure like your, each camera is eight to 10 Watts an access point somewhere in between those numbers. But a lot of your newer access points, like, uh, you know, some of the ruckus ones that we install are POE plus plus, which are going to take, you know, 30, 40 Watts of power. Uh, they are, and yeah. there are a couple of things that are POE plus plus plus, which apparently exists. Um, I, I don't know of any if I've installed one yet, but um, so that's what this switch is for. And I was like, "Dang, this this is incredible!" It's also very heavy because the power supplies are already built in, so you just need to provide two additional uh, IEC three prong grounded power key, uh, plugs to plug it in. It is now my life goal to actually utilize all three of those power supplies and a project. <laughs> well, and you're going to hate me for asking this question, but this is specifically because uh, I'm going to kind of poke the bear a little bit. If Uh-oh. you used an AudioQuest power cord. Oh, yes, go ahead. On this particular 
switch, do you think it would improve the audio of the AVB network? Oh, oh man. We're going to make some people mad. Uh, I think I think there would be... I, I think there'd be a possibility. We'll put it that way. <laughs> I, I, I don't know because, because there's so... I mean, think of how this thing's going to be connected. Like, it's not... You and I have done, we, we didn't really get into this, and maybe we need to have a cables c- conversation at some point. I, I don't know if I can handle the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Dan and I, in our in the first couple of years, like part of our job was we'd spend half of our time in our store. Yep. We would go into our listening rooms and just play around, essentially, but for yeah. good reason. Uh, and we would try different power cables, different HDMI, analog. And, you know, by and large, to me, it makes a difference. If I go from entry tier to top tier, I felt like I could sonically hear a difference. Call it what you want, whatever it is. We did it with Ethernet at one point, and you and I both agreed that there was something that sounded better. Yep. But I don't know if it would work on this AVB mainly because of everything that's hooked up to it and the amount of noise that has to be traveling through that. But that if that power cable is doing its job, is it going to help that signal flow a little bit better? Who knows? Uh, Don't hate me on it. Don't hate me. You can have your own opinion of the cables. I'm not here to tell you that you should buy expensive cables. I'm just telling you that it made a difference to me. Yeah. Well, and I have uh, AudioQuest running uh, literally everything in my entire house. Mm. So, Mm. um, I love those guys and I love what they do, but, uh, honestly, I just don't know if, uh, the power supplies are switched or not. So I don't know if it would actually, if there's already a grounding or something in there that's acting as a filter, are you really going to get the benefit on it? So I apologize to everyone for poking (laughs) the bear, but I had to a little bit. Now I want to get our insar to just install three blizzard Power cables and power see cables. if it's going to work or not. Dude, you couldn't even, I mean, I don't know how he's going to man it, like wire manage them. They're like the size of three lacing bars. Yeah. They're, they're absolutely <laughs> But I want to try this and, now. Well, and just to uh, be clear, uh, so tell me what is the actual product again? It's how many uh, ports on this switch? Uh, so I, I believe it's it's 40, 40 total Ethernet ports. And it, has, it also has eight uh, SFP connections for uh fiber so if you if you have like in this case we have two switches next to each other and to get the best connection between them rather than doing it over copper we're doing it over the fiber connection so it can be it just offers a faster transfer speed got it between the devices so you've got 40 ethernet switches that are or 40 ethernet ports that are on this switch and then eight fiber ports that are on this switch as well so you can stack these mm-hmm. uh, for however many you need man that is awesome that is absolutely fantastic yep. and we have two of them actually in this race <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i had to help you know i said i was helping install it uh they they are not light i mean it was probably almost the weight of the battery backup that we had to put on the very bottom of the of the rack so um pretty well, impressive I'll- piece of technology yeah, I was gonna say I'm looking at uh, at the specs and it says it's 22 pounds. Yep. Uh, <laughs> for a network switch, which is just amazing, considering you could get an eight port network switch and be what half a pound. I mean, those power supplies are just 
monsters inside of that thing that's awesome yep and this is also like uh it's like a forty four hundred dollar network switch or something so i mean it's not a everyday usage. it's not an everyday <laughs> like i'm not gonna go buy one to test out our theory here you know like it's just yep but i really want to test it now so stay tuned maybe we'll do it we'll do it we'll, we'll maybe we'll do it we'll, we'll, we'll record it through our through our microphones and see if you can tell a difference there you go <laughs> All right. Well done, sir. <laughs> so you have been listening to the sound of design with Mark and Dan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. And uh, thank you very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. As uh, always, please uh, reach out to us with uh, any uh, questions, comments, or concerns. Um, you can also reach us at the sound of design if you'd like us to design a project for you and uh, please uh, like and comment subscribe share with your friends we will see you guys on the next episode see ya